0: And you know, if you know, I know that probably a lot of the congregation understands what it is to be a mom, but your life changes once you're a mom. I have this little thing that says, Before I was a mom, I never tripped over toys or forgot words to a lullaby. I didn't worry whether or not my plants were poisonous. I never thought about immunizations. Before I was a mom, I never had been puked on, pooped on, chewed on, peed on. I had the complete control of my mind and my thoughts. I slept all night. Before I was a mom, I never held down a screaming child so doctors could do tests or give shots. I never looked into the eye, teary eyes and cried. I never got gloriously happy over a simple grin. I never sat up late hours at night watching a baby sleep. Before I was a mom, I would never held a sleeping baby just because I want, didn't want to put them down. I never felt my heart break into a million pieces when I couldn't stop the hurt. I never knew that something so small could affect my life so much. I never knew that I could love someone so much. I never knew I would love being a mom. Before I was a mom, I didn't know the feelings of having my heart outside my body. I didn't know how special it could be to feed a hungry baby. I didn't know that bond between a mother and her child. I didn't know that something so small could make me feel so important and happy. Before I was a mom, I had never gotten up in the middle of the night every 10 minutes to make sure everything was okay. I never had known the warmth, the joy, the love, the heartache, the wonderment, or the satisfaction of being a mom. I didn't know I was capable of feeling so much love before. I was a mom. Being a mom changes who you are. And on Mother's Day, we have, what am I, move my microphone, sign language again back here. Okay. It's Mother's Day, and as we think about Mother's Day, we think about our own mothers. And I, like Tammy, my mother isn't with us anymore. But when I think about my mother, and when you think about your mother, you probably have things flashing through your mind about memories of your mom. Things she did, things she said, or who knows what it was. People tell me I look like my mom and remind them of my mom. And that to me is a compliment. Because my mom was a very special lady. She was funny. People loved her. Matter of fact, cops used to pull her over just to talk to her. Now, how would you like that? Meow. You knew if you got pulled over, it wasn't anything. And when I was growing up, it was a great thing for me. If I got pulled over by a cop, I you know, knew it was long as this certain dur- jurisdiction. Hey, I was okay. Look at my driver's license and say, hmm, great. Is Millie your mom? When I said yes, oh, okay, go ahead. That was so nice. I really miss those days. You know, That's how come I got tickets later. I didn't, my mom, they didn't know. They up, rose up a cop that didn't know my mom. <laughs> that, was, that was when my life got, got a little rough. But all these things that flash through our mind about our moms. And being a mom is very special. And we have all kinds of things that we think about when we think our mom. But when we're moms and we look at our kids, we can't help but think, wow, this is great. The only, the one thing great about being a mom is that if you survive their childhood, then you get to be a grandma. And that's when the fun begins, right? That's when the get-even time. And nothing's greater. Like, like I said, if you could have grandkids first, we'd have them first instead of, you know, going through the other things, to, you know, so we'd learn. We This last week, we had our our daughter uh, came through for a couple of days, and she had our, our twenty and 21-year-old granddaughter and our brand-new five-month-old great-granddaughter. And wow. You think, wow. You, you know, you think you got grandkids, and then you get great-grandkids. If you're really blessed, you get to see great-grandkids. And... You know, for you mothers that are just young and just coming up, or you young kids, the mother's curse works. Yep, when your mother says, I hope, I hope that your child grows up to be just like you, I don't know what you're saying here to me. Come up here and, and whatever. This handsome, handsome young man is my husband. And he's always... You know, and, you know, I'm trying to be obedient. It says submit unto the, you know, your wives, unto your own husbands. So I'm doing that this morning. But it's great when you get to see your grandkids. And it's so exciting. I did have a picture, but I forgot to bring it. I was going to put up show you my daughter and me and my granddaughter and my great-granddaughter. But it's home and the thing. So I was going to brag a little bit this morning. And all of us mothers, we get to brag on Mother's Day. And we, every time you go, you know, you don't ask a mother how many kids you got because they'll show you. And, and the older the woman is, the... You know, they, they hang out there to the, far, to the far. We have nine grandkids and one great grandkid now, so it, it's great. But we live in a society that, you know, they sure they set her aside Mother's Day. Okay, we'll honor mothers once a day. But we live in the society that motherhood isn't that important. That's why divorce, uh, divorce, why abortion is so popular. We live in a nation that we have a bunch of women that the worst thing in their life they could think of is to be a mom. That's why abortion is so popular, is because they think, oh, I can't have a baby. I, I'm, I've got a career to think of. It's going to mess up my life, or I'm too young, or who knows what other the reasons are for not having to be a mom. Or what would people think if they knew I was pregnant? Well, one thing, they'd know that you aren't married, <laughs> you know, so you have that stigma or quote-unquote attached to it. But we live in a society that it's okay to kill babies, And I've said, where are the mothers? Where are the mothers in this world? Where is that desire that God has put in our hearts to be moms and to make sure that doesn't happen? I don't know what happened. And we need to pray for America. And we're going to be held accountable. And we're going to, as a nation, going to stand before God because of the judgment of all these abortions and all these things that, that are going on. Because being a mother is one of the greatest experiences that I've had in my life. I can't even imagine it, you know, not being a mom. You know, and I think, well, man, I'm, thank- I'm thankful to God that he blessed me and allowed me to be a mom. In Bible days, being a mom was the, the most important thing you could do as a woman, was to have children. That was the most important thing you could do. And you were considered a failure if you didn't have children. And if you could have seven children, wow, seven was a, was a good number. If you could have seven kids, you were so blessed. Oh, man, you were blessed. And you, in our society, we think, well, seven kids, what's the big deal about that? Well, we look at Jacob, and he had tw- he had 12 kids, 12 tribes of Israel, but he had four wives in order to get those seven kids. So when we only had one wife back then, it was harder to get seven children because there were so many women that died during childbirth. It was a, not only the biggest desire that, for a woman to have children, but it to have that desire, it could cost them their life. And yet it was so important to them to have have a child nowadays we have all these medical things you know to help women so they don't they're not near as at risk but we still have women t- in our society that die from childbirth i had a child natural and i guarantee it i know why they die i i wanted to die my i wanted to kill myself you know and then I wanted to kill him, <laughs> or the dad, <laughs> because, oh, man. And then the second time they got drugs, I said, oh, wow, thank you, Jesus. I like this stuff. This is okay. But back then, they didn't have that reality. They didn't be able to do that. I heard it said that if, uh, if men could have children and you alternated pregnancies, the woman would have one, the man would have the next one, and there would never be a third, never. So that's the, that's the answer to child, child uh, explosion or whatever. So if we had to do that. But they, she was considered a, a failure if she didn't have children in Bible days. And uh, the reason that they, that they were so important to them, because as long as you had children, you, a part of you would live forever. A part of you would own this piece of ground over here. Or a part of you would always be alive. You may, not, you may be dead. But part of you will live forever. And now with all the DNA testing and things that we know that goes on, they've proven that. They can tell you, they can take a baby and find out if you're their father, you're their mother, or you're their grandfather, or you're their uncle, you their aunt. Because a part of you lives throughout history. They've had some genetics done that they found out that if you trace the DNA back, they'll trace everybody back to one one set of parents. Wow. I wonder, I wonder where I heard that. Sounds like Genesis to me. So, But our society, to them, is one of the worst things that could happen to them. And I, I just have a hard time with that. Understanding, you know, that. And the truth is, there's no right reason to kill a baby. I know that in society, and when I, before we were Christians, it wasn't, you know, we couldn't see the big deal about it because it's hard to, because the way society treats those things, to look at it. We seen a movie one time, this was after we were saved, about how abortion is performed. And after that, I'm not kidding you, it didn't have to give you nightmares, and there's no, I don't care whether you're Christian, non-Christian, you look at the, look at an actual abortion from that side, and you'll know that that is not just a blob or a non-person. That's a real live baby, and there's no excuse for taking that baby's life. God is the only one that has power to take a life, and we need to leave that leave that up to God. And when we look at all these abortions that we've had, and we wonder, where are all the leaders coming from? How many leaders have we killed? Herod tried to kill Jesus. He did everything he could to, to kill Jesus. So he killed, uh, I don't know how many babies were killed at that time, but lots of them were killed because he wanted to get to Jesus. Moses, look how many babies were, were killed during that time. But God miraculously saved him out of there. How many Moseses have been killed because of an abortion? How many Davids? How many Lincolns? How many Billy Grahams? How many Catherine Cummins? How many Billy Sundays? And whoever we consider a great leader with answers for the society and the problems we're going through, how many of those have died because of an abortion? That in itself should be enough to, uh, to dissuade us from that. But as Christians, life begins at conception. I don't care what, whatever. If you read your Bible, we, we can find that to be true. And that's reason enough for me to know is because God says life is sacred. And God put that desire in our hearts to have children, to be fruitful and to multiply, and that part of us will live on forever. Now, this morning, I want to talk about a woman that her greatest desire was to be a mom. That's all that was the, the most important thing in her life was to be a mom, was to be a mom. And that's found in First Samuel, if you want to, you know, turn, turn there, the first chapter. And her name is Hannah. Now, I figure because it's, you know, it's Mother's Day, you know, I might as well put through something about we can get out of a mother. Doesn't that sound appropriate? And there were so many mothers that I could glean from in the Bible. There's more in there if you just start looking at all the women are in the Bible and the influence that they had on society. But this woman's prayer really influenced a lot, or her desire, God really used so, and we're going to start with uh, verse 1. I'm going to skip around a little bit because it, it's pretty long, and I, I'm going to read through all the scriptures and then, then kind of go back to them, unless I think of something at the time. Now, there was a certain man, whatever, of, I'm not pronouncing all these names, Elkanah. He was an Ephronite, from Ephronite. All those names aren't that important. Verse 2, and he said, he had two wives. The name of one was Hannah, and the oth- name of the other was Peninnah. And Penanah has children, but Hannah had no children. Down to verse 7. And as he did year, so year by year, when he went up to the house of the Lord. Now, this guy, Elkanai, who, the guy, he was evidently a Levite. He was from the tribe of, of Levites. And once a year, every person in a Levite had to go and serve in the, in the temple. So year by year, he went up to the temple to serve his, his yearly duties. And when he went up to the house of the Lord, so he, so he provided her, therefore, provoked her, therefore she wept and did not eat because her adversary was making fun of her. Her other wife, Peni, had children, and uh, she didn't. Hannah didn't have children. And like I said, it was, the, it was the worst thing not to have children. And this other wife was making fun of her and used to jab at her and everything because she didn't have any kids. And um, that's we look at all the society today. Can you imagine the problems that could be, be erased in the Middle East if Sarah and Abraham... Had waited on God, and not had Hagar, Hagar would in there and have a son, have another son, Ishmael. Can you imagine the problems that were, that we have just because of that? But having children was so important. God, came up with a solution for people to have children. So it was through having more than one wife, or actually, he's supposed to raise up seed through someone else that would be his. But. Overall, it isn't God's will to, for plural marriage or polygamy or anything, and I don't have time to do a study in that, so I won't. But um, but Hannah was barren, and she couldn't have any children, and the other wife just harassed her, and so she was heart sick over this. It's bad enough to be live in a society that you show your worth by how many children you have. And if you can't have children, you have no value. What are you good for? But her husband loved her. And um, in verse uh, 8, said to her husband, Hannah, why weepest thou, and why eatest thou not? Because after they went up to the temple, they had to sac- they had a sacrifice, and then the, the family got to partake of the sacrifice. But Hannah was so heartbroken that she couldn't even participate in the celebration. And he says, and why is thy heart grieved? And am I not better to thee than ten sons? So he said, hey, I- I'm better than any sons, because he loved her more than the other, but he had to have this, this thing of Hereditary, he wanted to have a son, children so bad that he caused a lot of problems in the family. So, verse 10 and she was in bitterness of soul and prayed unto the Lord and wept sore. And she vowed a vow and said, O Lord of hosts, if thou wilt indeed look on the affliction of thine handmaiden and remember and not forget thine handmaid, will but will give thine handmaiden a a man child. She was very specific a man child, then I will give him unto thee all the days of his life and there shall be no razor come upon his head. And it came to pass as she continued praying before the Lord that Eli marked her mouth. Now Hannah, she spake in her heart, only her lips moved but her voice was not heard. Therefore Eli thought she was drunk. Now I have a, she was praying and she had had prayed so hard that her voice was gone and she had nothing to do and she's just with her lips, she was just moving and he thought she was drunk. Evidently, they had a problem with that in those days. And Eli said unto her, How long will thou be drunken? Put away the wine from thee. And Hannah answered and said, No, my lord, I am a woman of sorrowful spirit. I have drunk neither wine nor strong drink, but have poured out my soul before the Lord. Count thy hide maiden for a daughter of Belial. For out of the abundance of my complaint and grief have I spoken hitherto. Then Eli answered and said, Go in peace. And the God of Israel grant thee thy petition that thou hast asked of him. And she said, Let thine hand man and find grace in thy sight. So the woman went her way, and did, not eat, and did eat, and her countenance was no more sad. And they rose up in the morning early, and worshipped before the Lord, and returned, and came to the house of Ramah. And he knew Hannah his wife, and the Lord remembered her. Wherefore it came to pass, when the time was come, about after Hannah had conceived, and she bore a son, and called his name Samuel." saying, because I have asked him of God. Let's skip down to verse uh, 24. And when she had weaned him, she took him up with her with three bullocks and one epot of flour and one bottle of wine and brought him into the house of the Lord into Shiloh. And the child was young, and they slew a bullock and th- brought the child to Eli. And she said, O my Lord, as my soul liveth, my Lord, I am the woman that stood by thee here praying unto the Lord for the child I prayed and the Lord had given me my petition which I asked of him therefore also I have lent him to the Lord as long as the child liveth he shall be lent to the Lord and he worship the Lord now there's a lot of things that we can we see that's going on she wanted a child she couldn't have any and every year that when they went up to the temple all she did was spend her time praying to God and crying out for a child a man child was very she was very specific in what she wanted and she was praying and agonizing so much that the guy thought she was drunk. And she had, And then after he realized she was in anguish of soul, then he kind of was quickened and felt bad in his spirit. And he promised her, okay, may, your, may the Lord grant your request. Well, as soon as Eli said that to her, everything changed. It said her countenance changed. And she all, all of a sudden had faith. And she said, well, wow, God's going to answer my request. And uh, as we see later on that she went home, and, and everything in her environment changed. And that's what we we'll look at. I know that we have, a, we have the story here in and it of itself is enough lessons in there for us to learn. And if it hadn't been for Hannah's desire to have a child, Samuel would not be born. And look at the impact that that child had in the Old Testament on David's life, on Saul's life a lot of people's lives because he was a very righteous man and he grew up. And I, the thing that always, I find humorous here is she says, give me a child and I will give him back to you. And I was, he was about three years old. There's some three to five years old. Depends on uh, which commentary you look at as far as when she took him to the temple and she gave him to Eli. Now, you know, if I'm Eli, I say, what do you want? I don't want no more kids running around here. I it mean, you got to feel sorry. Well, Eli was saying, man, I dedicated this baby to the Lord. the Lord Here, Gordon. Take it, raise it. <laughs> it's yours. <laughs> that doesn't really make a lot of sense, but Eli knew that God had answered that prayer and he did. and she every year she would go up and bring a little little robe for him. Once a year she'd go up there when they worship and she'd bring him a new robe so in a little priestly outfit and he served in the temple his whole life. Now he dedica- she dedicated him to his whole life. Usually the, the time of a priest was from like 20 to 55 of their service and after that then they didn't have to go anymore. So that's pretty good. That's where we get our retirement age of 55, in case you was wondering where that used to start from. Most of the things that we have and the customs that we have, we come right out of the Bible. There's a reason, and that's what it was. It was 55. They figured your service is done. Now you get to you know, enjoy life. Of course, they didn't live as long as we do either. So anyway, but as we look at that, there's so many things in there that we can, we can pull out of there. And it, there's more in it than just a woman that wanted to be a mom. I want to look at the desire that she had and and equate that to our lives. Because how many know that everything that we have in this Bible, we can pull out of that time and bring it into ours? And we can find a lesson that we can apply to our own life. And we look at her life and we look at her desire, and she's just crying out for this one particular thing that she had. How many of us have something in our life that we cry out to God for? One particular thing that we just can't get away from and we have people that make fun of us if we happen to share our vision with somebody or our dream that we have we share them with our friends and they make fun of you just like um, Joseph and he shared some of his dreams with his family they made fun of him and they you know, wanted to kill him so our dreams aren't always accepted by other people but God, when we have a dream or a vision in our heart for something specific and we cry out to God and we want it but worse than anything else in the world and if we don't have that in our life, and maybe we're barren like she was. Maybe we don't have a dream, but in uh, what is it? Proverbs uh, 29, 8, 18, it says, where there is no vision, the people perish. We have to have a dream. We have to have a vision. We have to have something in our heart or something in our life that keeps us going. If we don't have that, our life is meaningless, and we will perish. Without a vision, the people perish. Our universities are filled with students that have a vision, they have a dream, they have something in their life that keeps them going. Some people get to go to school on a scholarship, but a lot of them have to work their way through it. They have to eat a macaroni and cheese every night of their their life because they're working their way through school. They have a dream, they have a vision, and that's what keeps them going. And so when we look at that and bring it here into our own life, we say, God, what is my vision? What is my dream? I know that from the time that I was saved, My desire was to serve God in any way that he wanted me to do. But I wanted to preach. I felt like I was a preacher. And I guess you you guys are the only ones that can say whether or not I was right or wrong or (laughs) whatever. And I felt that call upon my life. And everything that I did from the time that I was a Christian kind of tried to help me to get into that place where God could use me in that aspect. And it didn't happen overnight. I had a long struggle to get to point A to point B because I... Well, before I was saved, I had been married and divorced, committed the impardonable sin. That's the impardonable sin in our society, because if you're, and, I, and I'm a woman too, so I've got two strikes against me already, but God put that call on my heart, and I, as I look back on my life, and I can see how he worked other things out, he allowed me to write music, and so it allowed me to go places and to be able to minister in song, and I got to preach more than I got to sing, which was where my heart was. And now that things have changed in society, and in the settings of God, I've been able to fight my way through and get, those, get that paperwork that God wanted me to have and be able to, to fulfill that call on my life. Because if you have a desire in your heart to do something and you can't do it, you just feel not complete, like something's missing in your life. And you don't know what it is. But maybe it's that dream. Maybe it's that vision. And if we don't have something in our life like that, we've got to ask God, put something in my life like that. What a dream or a vision. Maybe the reason we don't do anything for God is because we don't have a vision. We have a youth center out there that's standing for the vision of, of what pastor sees that does to be used. Maybe your vision is to be involved in that or a dream or something. But allow God to put that in your heart. And when he puts something in our heart, he puts desires in our heart. Why? So he can make us struggle and make us suffer because we are we don't have this? No. God puts dr- dreams and things in our hearts and desires in our heart, so he can grant them. So if we have a d- desire or something in our heart that we just got to have or we just got to do or we just got to press in, God says, I want to give it to you. Here it is. This is what you have to do. And everything we do, we do and we push toward the mark of the high calling like Paul said. And, and we strive for that. But we have to have some kind of vision or dream. If we don't, That we're ineffective. Not only as human beings. But as Christians. Christians especially need. To have a vision. They need to have a dream. They got to have a. We have to have a reason to exist. We exist to worship God. But when we love God. And and we draw closer to God. Then his desires flood our hearts. So Hannah had a desire for her child. For a child. To supersede anything that was going on in her life. She was in a very wealthy house. She had uh, everything that we could want as women. She probably had. You know, probably five or six outfits. You know, they figured seven changes of outfits back then was a lot. (laughs) Let alone shoes and and things like that. So she had everything that money could buy. But she had this desire in her heart that she just couldn't get away from. And because she pursued that desire year after year after year, when it didn't look like there was any going to happen, and every year a woman gets older, her chances of becoming a mother are lessened. So, and us, you know, we sit there and look, especially when you're, like I said, I was almost 40 when I got saved, so I already had, (laughs) you know, according to to people, I'm too old to start anything, you know, as far as ministry is concerned, but God doesn't look at the years, he looks at the desire, and he looks at the burdens and things that he places in our hearts, and God wants us to reach out, God knows how old I am, he used Moses when he was 80, I mean, you know, I'm not 80, so if I got, I got 40 good years then, Right? You're taking those tests on the computer, you know, that tells you, your lifestyle tells you how old you are. According to that, man, I got at least 30 good years left in me. <laughs> if you listen to that, but I believe the Lord's going to come before that. So what do we learn from Hannah's experience? We learn that if you have a desire in your heart, you keep pressing in, you keep pressing in, and you keep going. She prayed when she was up, she prayed when she was down, she this desire was always in her heart, and that's what we need to do. We need to pray every day for that desire or whatever it might be. If we don't have a desire, then pray that God will put us, it, give us one because if God will give us a desire, it makes our life so much, so much better, so much fuller when we have something that they're working towards. You're getting ready to go to college because you have, a, have an end in sight. If you don't have that end in sight and life means it's all you have is now, then what's the point? God wants to give us a point and so we gotta pray, and we gotta seek God, and we ask Him to let that desire come to fruition. Maybe it's to be a missionary. Maybe it's to be to teach Sunday school. Maybe it's to be uh, to make a cake. Who knows? Cookies, things for power kids. Who knows? There's all kinds of things that we can do for God if we allow God to open up our hearts and to be able to strive and seek them. And she one thing that she did also was that she promised if God would give her this just child. Now, she didn't ask for 100 child. She didn't ask for seven kids. She asked for one male child. And she says, if you give me this child, if you give me this desire in my heart, I'll dedicate it to you. I'll give it to you. I'll commit it into your hands. Maybe the reason we're not getting our goals or the things is because we don't want to commit it to God. But if we take our dreams and we take the things in our hearts and we say, God, I want to dedicate this to you. Maybe you're going to school to be a doctor. Well, believe me, we need Christian doctors. We need Christian lawyers. In spite of, I honestly believe there's going to be Christian lawyers in heaven. In spite of what people say (laughs) about lawyers. I believe there are Christian lawyers. And we need them. So whatever the field is that we go into, we can commit our future into god's hands and to be allow him to work it out and to be able to be used and be a blessing to society because hannah asked for one child and then she dedicated him to god and when god gives us the desire don't forget to fulfill the promise hannah fulfilled the promise she prayed for years and years and years i don't know how many years she prayed it was like old testament times she probably prayed for 20 or 30 years before she got a child so she had to suffer that abuse for 20 to 30 years before she got that child. Now, it'd be us. You know, we have all these foxhole conversions where people in a foxhole say, God, if you just get me through this and get me home, I'll serve you. And then they get home. and What happens? Oh, I was just emotional. That's no big deal. Not with Hannah, she suffered through the temptation to hang on to that for herself. Can you imagine all that praying and all that working and, and sobbing and crying for a child and then at the age of three, take him to the temple and give him to the priest and said, here, I'm the woman that prayed and God answered my prayer and I'm giving him back to God and I'm dedicating him. She didn't know what she'd have anymore. To her, that was going to be the only child, but the stigmatism in her life was gone. She fulfilled her duty per se, but she dedicated it to God So when we are there and we cry out to God for something and he gives it to us, we need to fulfill the promise. And when when Eli said to her, your request is granted because I believe that God spoke to him prophetically and said that I'm going to open up her womb. I'm going to let her have a child. She didn't sit around and continue praying for a child anymore. After that, it was thank you, Jesus, for the child. Thank you, Jesus. She quit asking. She said her countenance changed. She went in and celebrated. The next morning, she got up and worshiped God, and they went back home. And for three years, she didn't come to the temple until she winged the baby because she wanted him to be ready for service. She dedicated him to God and fought those things, even though the desire was to hang on to that child. I mean, can you? I, I can't even imagine when my kids are three years old. I mean, those are the cute years. I can see getting rid of them when they're 10 12, 14 years old, when they turn into little little monsters, I have some of those grandkids, too. But when they're 3, 4 years old, 5, 6, whenever it is, man, they're cute little darlings. I want to hang on to them. Hey, you're cute. Come up here sit on Grandma's lap, and they tell you how much they love you, and they stroke their face, and, you know, all these kind of things, and you have a little baby, and, you know, he sticks his fingers in your, in your nose and practically rips it off, and, oh, oh thank you, thank you. <laughs> because we need to fulfill the promise and when we get something when God grants a promise and we can see that it's in fruition we got to quit asking for it we got to start thanking him and praising him for it once we get that conviction in our heart that God has met that need once we get some confirmation I don't care what it is whether it's something that in the scripture that you read whether it's something that someone says and there's just something in your heart that says that's me then our prayers need to change and we need to say God thank you for this Thank you for whatever it might be. If you're trying to get a scholarship to college and somebody offers you a scholarship, then you can quit saying, God, I want a scholarship. All right, there's one there. Thank him for it. Thank him for whatever it is that we're asking for. See, one of the problems that we have is when we get what we want, we're we're ungrateful. We forget to thank God for the things that we, well, God, if you give me this, I promise to do this, and then we don't thank him. Once we get it, even if we don't see it, because that's what faith is. Faith is looking at things as if they are, even though we see no evidence of it. There's something that happened in our heart. and There's something that happened in Hannah's heart that day in the temple that changed her life, and it changes our life when we commit things to God. And that's what I want us to get out of it this morning. You go home, you read this story. There's a lot of mothers in there that we could talk about this morning. But we need to dedicate our lives to God. We need to, to have these, the desires. Look, search our hearts and say, God, what desires do you have in my life that you want me to pursue? And pursue them. And thank God for them. Because God has such a great plan for all of us. There's no small things in the kingdom of God. Everything that we do, I don't care how insignificant, is great in God's kingdom. You've seen these little little games where they have these little blocks that they, they put in there and you try to pull one out and keep the things from falling out. You, I don't know whether you've seen them. I don't even know what they're called. Yeah. But every one of those things is part of that support. And there's only so many things you can live without before the whole thing crumbles. But God doesn't want, want the, he wants us to have everything in our life. He wants us to be complete. And that's his desire for our hearts. And if you're here this morning, maybe you don't have a desire. Maybe you don't have something in your life like that. I just want you to sit there and and just look in your heart and say, is there something in my heart that I have a desire for? Maybe you've already got a career. Maybe you've got uh, your life is half over or whatever it might be. It doesn't matter. But God can place a desire in your heart no matter what age we are that he wants to fulfill. And sometimes we don't dare to dream because we're afraid that we won't get it and we'll be disappointed. And if we don't desire things then we can't be disappointed if you don't try anything you can't fail but God's saying hey search your heart there's a desire in each one of us here this morning that God wants to grant God wants to birth in us a vision and a dream and if we don't have one pray and ask God to give us one and when he does be specific if you want to go to college and be a doctor be specific about it. Be what kind of doctor you want to be. Pray, you know, that you're, whatever it might be, and be specific with your prayers. I need this amount of money for this. I need this, 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 this. We pray too, gen- too much of general prayers. When a kid comes in after he's been hurt or something, he comes in, he's very specific. Oh, I got a boo-boo on my knee. And it's very specific about what need he wants met at that time. And we have a lot of boo-boos on our knees and on our, uh, everywhere in the society we live in because we get beat up a lot in the world But God has nothing but the best for us. And on Mother's Day, what better time to search our own hearts and to be able to see, is there a desire in my heart? If not, God, make me pregnant with a desire. See, men can be pregnant. They can be pregnant with a dream, with a vision, and with a desire the same as women can. Women just kind of understand those things a little better than men do. I know the Dr. Cho, I don't know whether you're familiar with who he is. He has one of the largest Assembly of God churches in the world. He has more memberships than... You know, whatever thousands and thousands, hundred thousand, million people probably go to that t- church on and off from their their things. But when he first started, he had a vision and a desire in his heart just to have a bicycle, so he could go and ride from point A to point B to get there faster to serve God. And never answered, never answered. Well, finally somebody come and told him. He says, "What are you praying for?" He says, I've been praying for a bicycle so I can witness for God. And he says, "Well, what kind of bicycle?" He says, "Well, I don't know. I don't care. Just a bicycle." And he says, well, until you start caring, until you start being specific about what you want, God God won't intervene. And so he started changing his prayers, and he says, God, I want a red bicycle with whatever it might be. And he started praying uh, er everything specific about that bike. And when someone gave him a bike, guess what? It was exactly like the one he'd prayed for. God wants us to be specific. We need to pray for our children, and we need to be specific about them. Lord, keep your hand of protection upon them, and whatever that is going on in each one of our child's life, whatever desires there are, we need to be specific according for our kids, for our grandkids, for our parents, for our loved ones, for for people that we meet every day that don't know him, uh, in our circle of love that we have, and influence that we have. We need to be specific about our prayers. And not to throw just general prayers and, Lord, bless everybody in the church. Lord, bless whatever. And bless, 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 bless. Because it, it becomes so impersonal. And God says, when it becomes a need, when it becomes a desire, and when you become specific with those things, I'm going to come through. And you're going to find out it's going to be exactly the right color, the exact right size, because God's going to put a need in there. And we as parents, if our kids comes to us, if there's any way that we can meet a need of our co- of our kids, we're going to do it. I've been, you know, I was a parent for a lot of years. And if we could do it, we could do it. And I'll do everything I can to help our kids, just as like any mother or father or whatever here this morning would be. Well, God loves us more than what any mother in here together could love a child. God loves us more than that. And when we understand how much God loves us and how much he wants to use us and how much he wants to meet the desires of our heart and not just give us us things that we want just so we can be disappointed. God doesn't want to disappoint. So I've got some, I'm going to pray. Billy, do you want to go do that? I'm going to pray. And if if you're here this morning and you don't have a desire in your heart, Something that just a burning desire like Hannah has. I want you to just sit there and examine your heart and ask God to give you a burning desire. Something that will keep you going when no matter what goes on in the world, you'll still strive for that because you just can't, your life just cannot be complete until you achieve that. And then watch God meet that need. Watch God bring it to, into the visual from the invisible. Because God's good at that. And then be thankful. When we know that he's heard our prayer and that he's going to answer it. Then change your prayer. Start thanking him. Thanking him for whatever that might be. I thank him every day that he's given me the ability to to do this. I mean, it's an awesome responsibility and I wonder, God, how come? But if God doesn't put that desire in my heart to do this, I wouldn't do it. I mean, I forget that. (laughs) God has to put desire in your heart to do things. And that's where it all ends. And we all want that desire in our heart. So, Father, this morning, Lord, I just want to present this congregation to you, Lord. And you see the hearts of everyone that is here this morning. You know, Lord, every desire that they have, every need that that they want to be met. And, Lord, I know that you're able, Lord, to meet those needs in their hearts. But I pray, Lord, especially for those this morning, Lord, that don't have that burning desire in their heart for whatever it might be that you want to put there, But they have to be willing to allow you, Lord, in order to do that. And I pray, Lord, that you'd help them to nurture that desire and do whatever it takes to be able to serve you. Because ultimately, Lord, that's the greatest desire of our hearts, Lord, is to be pleasing unto you, Lord, and to be able to have the desires of our hearts met by you. So I pray for each one of them here this morning. I pray, Lord, if there's one, Lord, that that doesn't know you. Lord, I ask, Lord, for them in a special way. Lord... I ask, Lord, that you'd help them, Lord, this morning to make a decision to know you. It doesn't have to be some drastic thing. All it has to be is just say, Lord, I'm lost. I need you. I know that you died on a cross for my sin, and I accept that penalty that you paid for me, and I want to serve you. That's all it takes. So if there are those here this morning that don't know you, I pray, God, that you would just put that desire in their heart to know you and to commit their lives to you. Because, Lord, that's the most important thing that we can do. Is to commit our lives to you and our, and to accept you as our personal Savior, Lord. And know that one day we're going to stand with you in glory and hear, Well done, thou good and faithful service. Now, Father, I just ask a special blessing upon each mother that's here this morning. Lord, you blessed civilization when you created mothers. And you put the love in their hearts, Lord, that supersedes so many things that no one can understand until they become a mom. And I thank you for each mother that is represented here this morning. And I thank you, Lord, for my own mother, Lord, who's running the streets of glory this morning. And one day I will see her again. And I thank you, Lord, for each life, Lord. And I ask that you bless the mothers that are here. And I put a special blessing upon them this morning. Lord, now as, as we go have fellowship later, uh, now, Lord, I ask that you bless the refreshments, Lord, and bless each one that is here today. And we'll thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen.